Hebrews chapter 6. We'll read the whole chapter. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection from, of the dead and, a, uh, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them, by whom is it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though, the, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through patient faith and patience inherit the, prom the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, his counsel and his oath, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll spend the majority of our time in the latter part of Hebrews chapter 6, and as I'm studying Melchizedek in more detail, we'll leave that for uh, next week. The last time we were in this blessed book, indeed in this chapter 6 of Hebrews, I trust you saw here the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you were enabled by God's grace to see the impossibility of our Lord losing one of his beloved people. By way of review, let's look again there in verse 4. The apostle begins this verse with these words, for it is impossible. Everything after that is an impossible supposition that with respect to those our Lord came to save, those who shall taste and see that he is good, it is impossible for them to put the Lord to an open shame. 
Why is that? Because, beloved, his people are kept by his power and not their own. The whole sense of the apostles' impossible supposition is to show us the saving glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, that it is impossible to put him to an open shame. And why is that? Because of all the Father has given him to save, he shall lose nothing. Friend, have you heard the gospel of the Old Testament? It is the same as the new. Irrespective of what false Christianity will teach you, our Lord Jesus Christ will never be put to shame. And why is that? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. And we'll look there. Verse 18. Here we find Moses begging the triune God to show him his glory. He said, verse 18, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And how does our glorious God answer? Does our God teach Moses that he might be gracious and he might show mercy if the free will of man lets him? Not at all. Rather, as our brother Paul writes in in Romans to the call to be saints, that our God answered Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What does this blessed declaration teach us? The same thing that the apostle argues with this impossible supposition we read in Hebrews chapter 6. It is impossible to put our Lord to an open shame. For For when he is pleased to show mercy, indeed when he is pleased to show compassion, he tells us, I will. Indeed, throughout the Old Testament, God tells us, I will do it. Again and again, with respect to our salvation, our Lord tells us in the Old Testament, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. And very blessedly in the New Testament, we hear our Lord and God cry out that the salvation of his people is finished. Indeed, it is done. Beloved, I realize that there are some who will tell you that this passage is describing those that only have a name but are not Christians. But in chapter 6, the apostle is describing, if I'm to use the meaning of his words consistently throughout this book, are indeed those who have been made alive by the gospel, a description of those that really are believers. While there is such a thing as a form of godliness among those who merely have a profession, among those that deny that salvation is by the power of God and pretend to be sinners, indeed pretend to be believers, notice that in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6, the the apostles' impossible supposition is describing those, and he he writes these words in Hebrews chapter 6, Those who have tasted the heavenly gift. Those that have tasted the good word of God. Now, if you would like to interpret those words as those that have merely sampled the heavenly gift or sampled the good word of God, the only problem with that is that you would be required to apply that interpretation to the same word in Hebrews 
when the apostle writes in chapter 2 of all of God's elect that our Lord by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Beloved, our Lord did not sample death. Rather, he died. Indeed, he gave his life a ransom for the elect from every nation. Many people in this fallen world who say by God's grace, Lord, thy will be done and not mine. The impossible supposition we looked at in Hebrews chapter 6 is very simply this. At the end of time, whatever charges false religion rails against the Lord Jesus Christ, they will all be found to be false. Indeed, they will be manifestly shown for what lies they are. For our Lord Jesus Christ will never be put to an open shame. He teaches us over and over again in many different ways and words that he shall not fail. How remarkable to hear of a so-called seminary professor state the following. Now, I heard this through a faithful minister of the gospel. He actually heard a seminary professor teach this in a seminary class. He described hell as a, the ghastly monument to the failure of the triune God to save the multitudes who are there. Sinners go to hell because God Almighty couldn't save them. He did all he could, but he failed. Now this is the blasphemous teaching of the Roman Catholic Church and all those who maintain that Christ died for everyone. My friend, Christ died for the sins of his sheep, the elect of God, all those who have been given eternal life by the special power of his grace. And they may say with the Apostle Paul, having been made to know his saving grace personally, he loved me and gave himself for me. Those that claim that Christ loves all men and that he gave himself for all men dishonor him. What blasphemy to teach such a Christ-dishonoring thing, or even to suggest that there are multitudes in hell that, that could say, he loved me and gave himself for me, and yet we are damned. My friend, hell is not a monument to the failure of God and his will. Rather, hell is the greatest monument to the free will of man. For if God should leave you to yourself, you will run headlong into it. Now, in the latter part of Hebrews chapter 6, after the apostle has exhorted us to follow the example of those that have gone before us, in particular to follow the example of faith, the example of faith of the father, of father Abraham, that he, that he through faith and patience, as it is so with all of God's saints, inherit the promises. The promise of God to bless his people and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's so multifaceted that it can only be described in the plural as promises. Can you name your blessings in Christ? Only in part, beloved, but what we can see, oh, what a blessing they are. That full and complete pardon of sin through the shedding of his precious blood, being made the perfect holy righteousness of God in him through his well-pleasing life and death. And now by God's grace, is it, is, it is open to our understanding that we may know that all things, good things and bad things, happy things and sad things, big things and small things, 
truly beloved, we know all things in the good providence of God work together for good to them that love him, to them who are called according to his purpose. To navigate the conclusion of Hebrews chapter 6, let us consider the blessed character of our good God. The apostle would have us to know the immutability of God's counsel and oath. That is to say, the unfailing purpose and promises of God to his people. First, what our God has declared in the triunity of his persons is immutable. That is, you would sooner change God than change the counsel of his word, indeed the purpose of his will. Our Lord reminds us frequently in his word of this blessed attribute of his character, that he is immutable. That is, he changeth not. He tells us in his word, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And what is true of his character is true of both the counsel of his purpose and his promises. Our father Abraham not only heard what God had purposed to do, but further, God made a promise to do it, and Abraham believed God and patiently endured to the obtaining of the promise. And as we read in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah, and he had said, and the Lord did as, as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. The apostle wants these Hebrew believers to consider how that Abraham, by God's grace and favor, patiently endured to the obtaining of the promise. Those which are of faith, indeed the same are the children of Abraham. For in the same way that he believed what God said by faith, by this blessed strong consolation, the, immut the immutability of his counsel and promise, indeed his purposes and promises are steadfast and sure. Both Abraham and all those that be of the faith have this blessed strong consolation. His word and his promises are immutable. And so just as sure as Abraham saw nothing that should encourage him with the eyes of the flesh to believe those promises, it is true with the believer. For the eyes of the flesh, he sees no good thing in this body of flesh, certainly nothing that would ever commend him to everlasting life. And so just as Abraham looked to the purpose and promise of God with the eyes of faith, waiting on the promise of God to give him an heir to bring forth life where it was impossible with man, so too the believer looks to the immutable counsel and oath of God. Indeed, the believer by God's grace in Christ ever looks to the purpose and promise of God with the eyes of faith, waiting on the promise of God to give everlasting life where it was impossible with man, but ever so blessedly sure with the Lord Jesus Christ the promised seed of God. Beloved, before the eyes of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ is ever before us, who is our sure hope, indeed the anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, who has entered our heavenly refuge within the veil. Beloved, let us briefly consider the immutability of God's counsel and oath under the following three headings. First, God does not lie. Second, God does not leave. And lastly, God does not lose. God does not lie. Beloved, just as sure and steadfast was the promise of God to Abraham 
to be both his shield and great reward, so too the Lord Jesus Christ is our shield and great reward. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ is our shield from every enemy to our salvation. Satan, sin, and death itself. Beloved, our exceeding great reward is to be in the presence of him who has loved us and gave himself for us. God does not lie. He does not tell us in vain to behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. For just as the angel of the Lord declared his immutable word that he shall save his people from their sins, we also have his promise. For he saith, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Well, has he done it? Has he saved his people from their sins? Emphatically, the answer is yes. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are his people. That is what the apostle apostle makes known to us through this blessed epistle. Though he styles God's elect people as those that are sanctified by God's grace in Christ. Turn over a few chapters to Hebrews chapter 10 and look there with me in verse 10. Apostle writes, indeed, God's word declares here in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Perfected forever. Perfected forever. (laughs) Perfected forever. What does this manner of speaking sound like, beloved? Is it not the same blessed note that our Lord declared when speaking of the certainty of our salvation, when he declared of his sheep, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish? Well, how is it that you, believing sinner, shall never perish? The apostle tells us in the book of Hebrews, perfected forever by the death of Christ, perfected forever by the life of Christ. Indeed, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ once for all, through the everlasting covenant of his blood. Beloved, our God does not lie. Those that hear his voice are given a love to follow him, the truth, the life, and the way. Now, albeit, they follow him imperfectly, but make no mistake about it, Believing the Lord, you will find yourself following him. Not to be saved, but because very blessedly you are saved. You'll confess him in the waters of his baptism. Not to be saved, but beloved, because you are saved. You'll remember him at his table. Not to be saved, but beloved, because you are saved. Because he has already redeemed you. Because he has already rescued you and made you perfect through his one sacrifice for sins by the blood by his blood and righteousness secondly god does not leave beloved god does not leave you from before the foundation of the world you have been the object of his love and care though in your experience you felt alone in your experience you felt abandoned but in the covenant of his grace we learn he has always beheld us in his everlasting, never-changing love. 
Just as we saw in the book of Genesis, the testimony of our covenant God is very blessedly this. The Lord did as he had spoken. <laughs> is that not what we just read about Sarah? <laughs> the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Beloved, God give you grace to take your name and put it there by faith. <laughs> the Lord did unto all of his elect as he had spoken. Do you remember what our Lord promised? Matthew records for us this blessed promise. I, our Lord said of his beloved people, I am with you always. Would you be surprised to hear the apostles saying the very same thing in Hebrews? I, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Listen to what the apostle says here, writing to those many that the Lord is bringing unto glory. Paul reminds us of the very same promise that our Lord will be with us always. He writes, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He writes that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. In fact, three times that blessed expression is recorded in the Old Testament. You want to hear what that blessed expression is? <laughs> he will not fail thee. He will not fail thee. <laughs> he will not fail thee. Turn with me to Deut Deuteronomy chapter 31. And look there with me in verse 6. God's word declares to you, beloved, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that do, doth go with thee. Though we don't always experience that, beloved, I want to exhort you to not look to your feelings. Look to his unfailing promise. It says right here in God's word, he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Beloved elect sinner of God, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And why is that? Beloved, the Lord has promised to never leave us and further, he is the one that preserves us, so that we may say, our God does not lose. Now, we've looked at several blessed things thus far. First, that God does not lie. Indeed, in his Son, he has given his elect the sure hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Second, that God does not leave, for he has promised to be with us always even unto the end of the world. Beloved, it would be your blessed experience to cross Jordan with him, for he will never leave you alone. The believer will never die alone. <laughs> and so lastly, let us consider that our God will not lose. Beloved, I trust thus far it has been a blessing for you who believe, indeed, for you who trust the Lord, to see how that our God does not lie. He promised Abraham something impossible. 
And if I understand the language correctly, God's word says pretty much the following. Sarah had no more eggs in her, in her ovaries. I can't think of anything more impossible than to hear a promise like that. Certainly, Abram knew, Abraham knew that her issue had been finished. And yet he believed God <laughs> by grace to believe something utterly impossible. And Abraham believed God and patiently waited, and the Lord did it. He gave him an heir. And in the same way, beloved, how exact is our predicament? God promises, uh, promises us everlasting life. And when looking to ourselves and our circumstances, we see no hope. But beloved, look to the immutable counsel and oath of God. Our Lord has promised, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Beloved, the gospel of our salvation is sure and steadfast, for it is founded upon the immutable character of our God. Beloved, his love is immutable, his counsel is immutable, his promise is immutable, and he has promised, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That is to say, beloved sinner, you who have fled for refuge in Christ, patiently endure, wait on the Lord as you see yourself not getting better, but worse. As we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see all the more how all the more lovely He is and how all the more wretched we are. Wait on the Lord, beloved, and He shall save thee. He has promised, and He will also do it. Our Lord declares, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Beloved, wait on the sure and steadfast immutability, unchanging counsel and oath of our God. Indeed, wait on our sure and steadfast Lord Jesus Christ, for he shall save his people from their sins. Indeed, every child of God beholds the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses. <laughs> Beloved, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can confess this with all of God's people. He never lied to me. <laughs> he never leaves me. <laughs> and he shall never lose me. Amen.